All right. Hello and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Today we are continuing in our message series called Alexa. And uh, in this message series, we are checking out uh, some of the questions that our culture are asking about faith. And here are some of the questions that our culture are asking about faith. If God exists, what is he really like? And in a world so full of hate, shouldn't we just tolerate each other? And if God exists, why do we exist? Is there real, any real purpose to our lives? And then can we trust the Bible or is it just an outdated old fashioned book? And then who is Jesus and why does it matter? And so we've been looking at these questions and answering them from a lens of scripture or from um, the the Christian faith. And so for the first uh, three questions, Trent and uh, Brian have done an amazing job of answering those questions. And if you miss any part of this series so far, whether you're here or online, um, go ahead and check out those messages. You can listen to them or watch them from our website at theepicchurch.com. Now today we're going to ask the question and examine the question, can we trust the Bible or is it just an outdated, old fashioned book? And then doesn't science disprove the Bible? Now, when I mention those two words, science and the Bible, I'm sure there is a wide spectrum of thoughts and questions that pop into our minds uh, with those two words that are out there. And so I'd like to uncover some of those words that you're thinking. And so I need a little audience participation with just one worded or two worded answers uh, to this question. Um, When you hear the word science in the Bible, what are some of the things that you associate with those words? So just shout them out. Universe, dinosaurs, creation, truth, atoms, awesome. Anything else? History, big bang. Absolutely. So those are great. I'm just glad no one shouted like missing link and pointed to their spouse. That would have not been good at the beginning of this talk. We might have a little fight out there. Uh, but anyways, um, Yeah, as we can see, when we mention those two words, science and the Bible, there is a wide spectrum of thoughts and questions that we have around this subject. And let me explain to you uh, a little bit of my experience with this subject. Uh, When I was growing up, I grew up in a home that believed in the Bible and believed that there was logic and evidence to support it. And despite being a Christ follower, uh, I actually did not like a lot of Christ followers. And you heard me right. And the reason I didn't like a lot of Christ followers is because it seemed like every time I was at school or at college, um, when some professor would say that um, the, the Bible is wrong and that science is right, uh, out came these tears from what I call emotional Christians, okay? And so uh, these emotional Christians would get into a debate with their professor and uh, at the end of their conversation, their last line of defense was to start crying and just say, you've just got to believe. And then the professor, sensing blood in the water, went in for the kill shot and uh, would say a statement, statements that we're all familiar with in our three-second sound bites from our culture, and would say statements like this. The Bible can't be trusted. It's just an old document. Or don't you know the Bible has been changed throughout history by editors? Or there are so many contradictions and mistakes in the Bible, it's not reliable. Or the God of the Old Testament is warlike and the God of the New Testament is loving. Did he finally grow up? 
And then the last one, the Bible is full of myths written by people who wanted power. And so many times I had a professor who would give that three-second soundbite, and it would end the conversation, and the entire class would literally turn back to the professor, side with the professor, and would leave this Christian in their tears. Now, isn't that what's continuing on in our culture? Maybe not like the lengthy conversations that we have that are back and forth, because basically you have to like three seconds to make your point, or they're out, okay? And so regardless of what happens, let me tell you, there will always be someone. There will always be a professor. There will always be someone that you chat with that will have some new piece of information or some new scientific discovery. And when they drop it, it seems like it ends the conversation. But here's what it does. What it does is not only does it end the conversation or it seems like it ends the conversation, but it plants a seed of doubt. And so many of you have had this seed of doubt that continues to grow and you lose confidence in faith. Or maybe you walk away from faith because of that seed of doubt. Or for some of you, maybe you uh, resisted believing in Christianity because of that seed of doubt. And so here's what I'd like to do today because we're all familiar with the three-second sound bites and people dropping the mic and walking away from conversations, and we're all familiar with what's being said online. I would like us to simply consider the other side. I'd like to dive into a conversation and actually hear um, what Christianity has to say. And so my um, goal is not to like win a debate, okay? My goal is simply to present you with information that you probably have never heard before. And so my goal or my hope for you today is that you would simply be open to consider this information and that you would not shut things down right away and that you would consider this conversation that we're going to be having today. So is that a deal? Awesome. All right. So don't check out. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to check out those five three-second sound bites uh, today in this message. And so if you would, the first one we're going to begin with, and we're going to dive in quickly, is that the Bible can't be trusted. It's just an old document. So if you would, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, always feel free to get one from the back. Uh, or if you're online with us, uh, you can download the Bible app called YouVersion. Y-O-U, and it's a great tool to have on your phone uh, to be able to get the, to the Bible within a couple seconds. But go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 13, and I'll give you a moment to get there. So as you turn there, before we dive into Luke, um, we need to examine why we're looking at Luke, okay? So Luke is one of four accounts written about Jesus's life. And Luke was a medical doctor. And he set out so that we would uh, have no doubt of what we were reading was accurate. And so he went out and he talked to Jesus's mother and interviewed her. He interviewed the disciples. He interviewed uh, many of the eyewitnesses of the events that had happened. And so he did this because he's a medical doctor. He wanted to make for sure that what he was writing was very accurate. That's what we want in a medical doctor, right? You know, they're accurate, especially when they're operating. And so uh, he did that. And in fact, if you wanted to fact check 
Luke at the time, you could simply go to those people that he would interview because they were alive. Now, for an ancient document, that is like unheard of. Many of the ancient documents that we have are written uh, way after the events. There's only several that were written kind of like at the actual time, and we'll cover those in a second. And so this is what scholars kind of grid is for an ancient document to test it out. And here's what they're judging. So when scholars go to test the validity of an ancient document, they look for the number of copies that exist. Because a lot of them, we don't have the originals, especially in the time period that we're talking about before Christ and up to Christ. Uh, But we have copies of those documents. So they look for all the amounts of copies that there are. Then they gather them together and they look for contradictions and mistakes and they compare them to see if they're accurate. And so let me tell you about some of the best ancient documents that we have, okay? And so right over here, um, you can't see this, but I've actually got a a piece of elbow uh, pasta right here because that's the uh, small amount that we have of these ancient documents. And the first one I want to check out is uh, from a man named Thucydides, kind of like a Star Wars name, right? Um, And he lived from 460 to 365 B.C., And he was a historian, an actual general as well, and he wrote about the Peloponnesian Wars, and uh, he interviewed people as they were happening, and we have eight copies of his history. And the earliest copy that we have dates about 1,300 uh, years after the original. So there were probably other copies, but we just don't have them, and so the first copy we have shows up 1,300 years after what he wrote. And uh, most scholars uh, will agree that these are some very accurate documents. They are very reliable. They trust them wholeheartedly. And then we've got five copies of Aristotle's Poetics. And so um, he wrote these. And the originals, uh, like I said, uh, we don't have, but we have five copies. And the earliest copy that we have um, is about 1,400 years after the originals. And then we have Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, and we have nine copies of those. And he wrote about what happened around 58 BC in the Gallic Wars. And um, after he died, the earliest copy that we have is about a thousand years after he died. And so that's the earliest copy of the nine copies that we have. And historians say those are accurate. When you compare them, they're very accurate. It doesn't look like somebody copied it and a person added some stories and, or made up things or contradict or anything. And so we've got that. Then we've got uh, Alexander the Great. And there are two copies of two different biographies, uh, one of each one. And one of the copies dates to about 400 years after Alexander the Great's death. Okay? So when we look at these documents, uh, scholars and historians say these are the best that we've got. Okay? And so of the ancient documents that are in this time period, these things are reliable. And so the question is, well, what about the New Testament uh, that we're looking at? So believe it or not, we have over 25,000 copies of the New Testament within hundreds of years of the original documents. And some of these documents, you know, the New Testament is made up of books and letters, 27 of them. 
Some of these documents that we have, uh, we have a complete New Testament only 100 years after the originals, okay? And some of these other documents that we have, we have fragments of certain books or certain letters within the New Testament, and they're only 50 years after the originals. And so many of the documents that we have, we have tons of uh, copies of Matthew, of Luke, of John, and all these other letters. Those only are complete versions of those after 100 years after the originals. So we've got 25,000 copies of the New Testament within hundreds of years of the original. By far greater than these amount of copies And these copies are from 400 to 1400 years after the originals. Every scholar out there, whether they believe in God or not, will agree that the New Testament by far has the most amount of copies that exist and that they are the shortest gap between the originals and then the copies. And that is truly amazing. And so that's how good this old document is. Now let's continue on to the second question. And so that's why we're turning to Luke. And that's why when we say, hey, Luke wrote with authority, we look at how many copies there were. Pretty impressive. So let's start with answering the second question or the second soundbite that we often hear. The Bible has been changed throughout history by editors. And so let's look at this. Luke's going to address this, and we're going to see this in here. And uh, we're going to be picking up in his account where he uh, interviewed some people about what happened to these two guys on uh, their way to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And they had an encounter with Jesus after Jesus had come back to life from the dead. And so let's start in Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 13. That same day, the first day of Jesus' resurrection, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles. How many miles was it? We would expect that from a doctor. Thanks, Luke, for the details. All right, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened, everything that they had seen and heard. Most likely, these guys had been around Jesus and the disciples. They were like on the support crew that helped them and may have been there for almost all three years or at least a year, but they knew these guys very well. And they thought that Jesus was going to be coming back as the conquering Messiah over Rome. And we'll see that in a second here. They weren't expecting Jesus to die. So as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Now, they didn't recognize him, and I'll come back to that, and I think there's a reason why. In verse 17, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short sadness written across their faces. And even though they had just received some amazing news, which we'll find out, they were still doubting and questioning what just happened to Jesus. And so then one of them, Cleopas, and Luke would say, yeah, you know, I talked to that guy. He's pretty rude. And when I was writing down stuff, this is what he said. And so Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Where have you been? I mean, what things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all, all the people. 
But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That's what they were thinking. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group, from our group of his followers, were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive, and some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone just as the woman had said, and Jesus interrupts them because he sees where this is going. He interrupts them because they were stuck in their own beliefs, and we'll see that here. They wanted Jesus to be this conquering Messiah, and they weren't expecting Jesus to come back and to die for our sins. Verse 25, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, and it's like him saying, come on, guys, you know? Like, after all that you have seen and heard, after you hearing it from these women this morning, you know, and what the angels said and what the disciples ran and went and saw for themselves that morning, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And Jesus doesn't stop there and give like his three second sound bite and drop the mic and walk on. You know, he didn't leave them hanging. You know, he didn't just say, you have to have, you know, enough faith to believe. He did something extraordinary here, okay? Don't miss this. Verse 27, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, all the Old Testament, and he pointed out all the edits that had been made over thousands of years. No, that's not what it says, okay? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself, and I'm sure that took hours, the rest of the afternoon. And don't miss this. See, Jesus right here shows us that he, his trust was in all the scriptures. He didn't like go over to his mule and like say, hey guys, let me pull out the originals. What you guys got here are these edited versions that have been like manipulated over thousands of years. You know, I got the real stuff over here packed up on my mule. He didn't do that, okay? Jesus was confident in scripture and he quoted it and he never doubted the reliability of the scriptures, all the scriptures, all the Old Testament. And so here's why he was so confident, okay? So you got to understand back then in the nation of Israel, there were some jobs for scribes and all throughout scripture, we see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there, we mentioned these scribes, it was their job. It was their job to copy the biblical texts on a regular basis to preserve them and for others to read them and search them and understand them. And they took this thing so seriously because they treated these words as they were the words of God. And it was a very intricate and labor-intensive process. They had three people involved, two people who would hover over the uh, uh, shoulders of the copier. And as that person copied, if they made even a letter mistake, they would say, stop, and they would all correct it, and then they would initial it. And if they didn't do that, they would throw away the entire page or entire manuscript if they thought there was a hint of a mistake. That's how much they cared for scripture. 
Now, when I went to seminary uh, to study to be a pastor, um, I had to take Hebrew and Greek. And um, when I took those classes, uh, part of one of the classes, one of the Greek classes I had to take is we had to examine some of the errors or mistakes within these 25,000 copies, okay? Fun stuff, right? Well, one of the most interesting things that we came across was, hey, here's one of the biggest mistakes in Scripture, in the New Testament, out of these copies. You know what it was? One of the biggest mistakes was one version said Holy Spirit, the other one said Spirit. That was it. It was the most boring class I ever took in seminary. Out of 25,000 copies, that was it. And there's two passages in the New Testament that some versions say, hey, we've got this one little extra part. This one says, no, it's not in that part. And both of them, though, say, hey, we're not sure about this, but mm, it's in the majority of the copies anyways. It doesn't change anything. doesn't change the story. doesn't change any theology. doesn't change anything about the meaning that Jesus had and the disciples had about God at all. That's how exciting it was. Very exciting, I tell you, you know. It makes me want to go back. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, the other soundbite that gets dropped on us is this one. There are so many contradictions and mistakes in the Bible, and some of you are already kind of getting here, okay? Because if you read all four Gospels uh, in one sitting, you're like, now wait a second. You know, when I read those Gospels, that guy said this, and this guy said this. What about that, and what about this? And so let's look at one of those examples. In Matthew... Um, it seems like Matthew and Luke can't agree upon how Judas died. Um, and Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. He's one of the disciples. In Matthew 27, 5, it says, Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. But in Acts, where Luke writes, he's in 118, Luke says Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling head first there, his body split open and spilling out all of his intestines. So which is it? Did Judas hang himself or did he fall down and his intestines spilled out? Great thought, especially if you haven't had breakfast. But anyways, when you look more closely, these are not contradictory things. They're complementary, okay? They're complementary. So Judas hung himself. And then either someone came along and cut Judas' body down, which in that culture they did often because it was like, oh, we got to do something with the body that's unclean, especially in Jewish culture. Or the rope broke, and when the body hit the ground, his intestines exploded. That's how he died, okay? We don't see Luke saying that he did not hang himself. Luke only continued to expand upon what happened. Okay, And so Luke never said that Judas died from a stab wound or died of old age. That would be contradictory. Okay, So as you read the four Gospels, you see four different writers writing. And we would expect different perspectives about similar events. If we all went to a party, someone might write about the decorations. Someone might write about the fireworks. Now, were they at the same event? Exactly. They were. But they were complementary. Okay, where they expanded upon what happened in that event. And so they don't contradict each other. Now, another shutdown statement, one of my favorites out there, okay, because this one gets tossed around a lot, is that the God of the Old Testament is warlike, you know, and the God of the New Testament, he's loving, you know. Does he finally grow up, you know? And so the answer is no, all right? Same God, 
Old Testament, New Testament. And when you examine the Old Testament, God is a God of love, mercy, and judgment. Okay? And many of the times that he goes to judge, he gives warning after warning after warning, and he waits sometimes hundreds of years, and he keeps giving warnings, and he keeps sending prophets. It's real exciting stuff when you read the prophets. Uh, and so some of these prophets got so mad with God and said, God, why don't you judge them faster? They're doing such evil practices. They're killing their children. They're sacrificing their children to these false gods. Strike them down. They're not changing. You've given them how many years to change? You've sent how many people to warn them? And so even the people of God got mad with God. Now, when you look at the New Testament, we see some of the strongest statements about judgment actually from Jesus. He says more about judgment than God does in the Old Testament. And he calls out on a regular basis, he lashes out against the religious leaders. He calls them hypocrites. He even turns over tables and gets angry with them uh, for misrepresenting God and for being false leaders and says that they will be condemned. Doesn't say they've got a chance. They're so far down the path that there's no hope for them. Now, are there differences between the Old Testament and New Testament? There are, okay? So yes, the Old Testament, you'll read like, hey, uh, you can't eat shellfish and pork, but we do, okay? Or you'll find the Old Testament, you can't get tattoos or work on the Sabbath, but we do. Uh, In Leviticus, you'll even read that uh, men who had crushed testicles were not allowed to attend services. And so guys, uh, if you don't want to attend services, ouch, okay? So glad we don't follow all the laws of the Old Testament, okay? So why are there so many rules in the Old Testament? Well, those rules, those laws, those practices were given to a very specific nation that God formed, the nation of Israel. And that's how they were to interact with him and to learn many valuable lessons through them. God just didn't create them to bug them. There were things that they had to learn about who he was because they had no idea, no idea who God was. God showed up and said to Abraham, go, go, and I'll be your God. Who who is this? And they had to learn about God. And so when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all those things. And so to speak, he kind of ended one chapter and started a new chapter in how we relate to God. We're not the nation of Israel. We're Gentiles. Gentiles are anyone who's not a Jewish person, okay? And Jesus fulfilled the law. And so is the Old Testament so valuable? Absolutely. There are amazing things that we can learn about God and what he's done throughout history, uh, valuable insights, principles that we should follow, but we don't follow the letter of the law to the T and to the I because we're not the nation of Israel. Instead, God says, I'm establishing something new. I'm ushering in through my son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, to love your neighbor just as I have loved you. That's what we are to follow. And so another final kind of sound bit, and we're going to camp out here for a bit because this one gets so many people, and it is a sound bite that has dropped so many times. Um, The Bible is full of myths written by people who wanted power. 
Okay, so if the Bible is full of myths, uh, then what you print can get you in trouble or it can bring some real credibility, okay? And so let's look through the lens of science uh, for a moment. Uh, some of these uh, accounts that we have were written a very long time ago before modern science. And so if there's a place to pick on, it would be these accounts because it's like, hey, it's in writing. And some of them were written in 1450 BC, almost 3,500 years ago. And they didn't have the science that we have today. And so pretty much there's some big claims and people pointed that out and said, look, that's wrong. But then they didn't have modern science. And so let's look at this chart of uh, some of the things that we find in scripture. So in Isaiah, he writes that the earth is a sphere. For a long time, people thought that the earth was flat, and modern science proves that the earth is a sphere. Back in Jeremiah's days, he said that there were innumerable stars. For a long time, scientists only thought there were 1,100 stars, and today we find that there are innumerable stars out there. In Job, Job, which is potentially one of the oldest books of the Bible, says that air has weight. And for a long time, people said, it doesn't have any weight. And what have we found? That air has weight. And then in 1 Corinthians, it says that each star is different, and everybody thought stars were the same, and we are finding that stars are very unique out there. And then in Job, it says that light moves. And for a long time, people said that light was a fix in place, and we know that light moves and moves very fast. And then um, in Job, it says that free float of earth in space wow, that's a big statement. And a lot of people said, uh-uh, no way. Didn't you read the Greek gods? Didn't you read about the Roman gods? The earth rests on a large animal. <laughs> All right? And what have we found? That the earth is free float in space. Wind blows in cyclones. Winds blow straight. Nope, they blow in cyclones. Oceans, floors contain deep valleys and mountains. And no, the the ocean floor is flat, and what we have found is some of the biggest mountains are actually underneath the oceans. Blood is the source of life and health, and for so long, so many people died because people bled people for a long time, thinking that would help. And yet we've found that blood is so important to the source of life and health. And then creation made of invisible elements, that all creation is held by these invisible elements. And many people thought, what? That's crazy. That's what the Bible says? And what have we found today? There is so much in an atom, and it is truly amazing. And we are still continuing to go deeper and deeper into atoms and understanding how they are the fabric of life. And then oceans contain springs. Uh, just a couple months ago, I don't know if you saw this article, but we have uh, springs underneath the North Atlantic, uh, one of the largest freshwater reserves that they have ever found, and they are amazed with that. And for so long, science said, nope, it's only fed by rivers and rain. And what are we finding? All these freshwater reserves of water underneath the oceans. Hmm, that's pretty amazing. So when we look at that, we say, wow, I guess uh, scripture had something to say about that. 
Now let's look at archaeology because we always talk a lot about archaeology. The Bible names real names, real places within history, and so that's a huge science in and of itself. So for a long time, scholars thought that the book of John, the Gospel of John, was wrong because of what John said. And so John wrote this. He wrote, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Now for the longest time, the archaeologists could not find what John described. And they said, this is a train wreck. You know, you can't believe what John said. And then in the 1950s, they dug a little deeper and they found the sheep gate, the pool of Bethsaida and five covered porches. And so tons of people who had walked away from faith went, oh, I guess they're, the Bible is accurate. And so uh, just this past uh, two weeks ago, they found uh, Pilate's ring, they think, about a year ago, uh, and it says Pilate on there. And so they think uh, Pontius Pilate, uh, who had Jesus uh, killed, um, they think they actually found his ring. And it dates from the same area. They also, just literally this past uh, two weeks ago, they found a new road that they think Pilate built because of the way and how elaborate it is. And it is one of the main roads that they believe that Jesus walked on on a regular basis. And so they continue to unearth stuff. In fact, I don't know if you've kept up, but in Saudi Arabia, they are now opening up a lot of the archaeological sites uh, to kind of make ways with uh, Christians and show that we're an open country and everything. And uh, archaeologists can't wait to get into Saudi Arabia. And so finally, uh, this is what I love. You know, uh, people will always come up with more information, okay? And sometimes we're so tempted to walk away uh, from what seems like to be a contradiction or a problem, um, but often we have to wait for science and archaeology to keep up with the Bible. And it's been done over hundreds and hundreds of years ago. There's nothing new under the sun. These arguments have been around for many ages. And they keep on trying to say, see, see, see. And there's all this evidence that's been there and continues to be unearthed. And so finally, the Bible, and I love this one because this one always gets played, okay? Um, It says, the Bible was written by those who wanted power. Well, some of them did want power, but they looked pretty foolish going about it. I mean, just look at the disciples, okay? Uh, They were pretty foolish in the ways that they went about trying to have power with Jesus, Uh, especially Peter. That guy, he was making so many mistakes. He was putting his foot in his mouth on a regular basis. And uh, just one example, just before Jesus died, uh, the night before he died, uh, Jesus said that, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And uh, Peter's response is this, found in Mark 14, 31. He says, no, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. And then hours later, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times and he runs away. And we ask where all the other disciples were and they had already run away, okay? And so... They looked amazing in that moment, okay? And especially when Peter answers this teenage girl, uh, do you know Jesus? And he said, no, you know? And then uh, another account is when James and John, uh, brothers, they wanted to have more power. And they said to Jesus, we've got a request. Mark 10, 37, they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you and of power, one on your right and the other on your left. 
And Jesus doesn't like, ah, that's a nice little comment. Let's talk on the side over here. No, he corrects them in front of all the disciples and probably these support people and says, you know what? That is the wrong attitude. Power is not what you chase after. We are about serving and loving one another. And so he corrects them and calls them out and makes them actually kind of look foolish in that moment. And so if these were myths, um, that stuff would have been left out. I mean, look at the stuff written uh, about the Roman emperors. You know, they only look good uh, in great light because if you are a historian and you did not put the emperor in good light, I mean, it was, you know, um, you were gone, okay? What did these guys have to lose in that moment? How were they gaining power? They weren't, okay? At that time, when these accounts are written, they're not gaining power. They are running for their lives, and they're taking a stand, and they're fixing their names on these gospel accounts, um, and they are being rounded up, and their lives are being taken away, and they're losing their lives. So if you want a death warrant, you fix your name, Mark, on that gospel, Luke, on that gospel. Like, we'll come after you. We know exactly who you are. You've been talking to a lot of people, and we're coming after you. That's the power that they were gaining. They were losing their lives. So now let's kind of wrap up things because we started with this cool story of these two guys who were on their way to Emmaus and they were doubting God. They were doubting Jesus and what had happened to them. They were looking for this conquering Messiah. And let's see what Jesus does to address their hearts. And so uh, as soon as Jesus describes all of scripture to them of pointing out who he is and everything, he leaves them and it dawns on them. We've just been talking to Jesus. And I'll come back to that in a second. So they run back and they tell the disciples and those closest to Jesus and picking up in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And just as they were telling the disciples and women about their encounter with Jesus, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see the scars. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Uh, yeah, we do. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all, for all who repent. You are witnesses, you're witnesses of all these things that you have seen and that you have heard. And so, do you know what I love about Christianity? You can see God does not require us to step out on a blind step of faith. Instead, 
He has gone out of his way to give us the ability to make an informed decision about the things that we need to make a choice about. He has gone out of his way to give us the information for us to make a decision about him. He has invited us to check out history and what he has done in history. He has gone to great lengths to make sure that people from all walks of life were those who were responsible for recording the events accurately down for all of us to read. And he has gone to pursue us like he did these two men walking on the road to Emmaus to encourage them and to encourage us to search the scriptures for ourselves. He never came in and did a three-second soundbite and dropped the mic and walked away. Instead, he gave up his life so that we would have as the element of our faith, as the substance of our faith, his death and resurrection. That's what he did. It was something that happened. It happened in history. And so my question for all of us today is where are you at? Have you bought into some three second soundbite has taken your faith away? Or are you trusting in the one who gave his life for us and has shown us to come and explore the scriptures? Some of you came in with doubts today. And as we've gone through scripture, those doubts have been eliminated and you've just been having a question about a specific thing. And for some reason today, it was like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I've been wrestling with. And I got an answer today. And you would say that you've had an encounter with Jesus. And so the only thing left to do is make him your personal savior. Because he predicted his death and hundreds of people saw him die and hundreds of people saw him come back to life and millions and millions of people's lives have been changed as they made him their personal savior for the forgiveness of sins. Now, some of you, you, you've come today and you still have questions and you've been coming and that's great that you still have questions. And so the challenge for you is to continue to find the answers to your questions. So on the Spiritual Growth Challenge, I've put three resources, a lot of what we've talked about today at a much deeper level. And I encourage you to pick up that Spiritual Growth Challenge, get those resources and read them. One of the resources is evidence that demands a verdict because it does. It does. It demands a verdict. It's there in front of us. And we have to search. And Jesus invites us to search. He's not scared about doubts. He's not scared about new discoveries. He's never been. And so I'd search. On there is also what I call the Luke challenge. I'd encourage you to read through the gospel of Luke and get a good Bible dictionary. I put uh, one on there and buy it and look up. Every time you come across a name, every time you come across a place, look it up in the Bible dictionary and you'll be blown away with all the history behind a name, behind a place and what's been found in archaeology. And then finally, for a lot of us, I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been encouraged that we can trust the Bible. 
And the thing that we need to do next is to be witnesses of what people saw that happened. And people need to be challenged to investigate for themselves, just like we've investigated today. And so as we close in prayer, I'd encourage you to pray for those that you know that need to be invited to church, to wrestle with the subjects that you've been wrestling with, to invite them to investigate scripture. And next week we're concluding this series with an amazing message of who is Jesus and why does it matter? And so it'd be perfect timing to invite them to hear what Jesus did. And so we're gonna close in prayer and if you feel like you've had an encounter with Jesus, then today you're gonna have an opportunity to make a decision for him to become your personal savior. So let's go ahead and pray. So Father, thank you for today. We thank you, God, that you are God of history, that you work so much to show us exactly who you are, and that you invite us to search for answers. You're not afraid of that. You never have been. And so today, God, there are some people here that are ready, that are ready to make you their personal savior. And so if that's you, during this prayer, I'm going to just lead you in a prayer to say, I'm all in. Jesus, I'm in with you. So if that is what you want to do in this moment to make a decision, just say something like this to him. It doesn't matter the words, but just say this to him in your minds. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth to show me exactly who you are. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for coming back to life from the dead. And all these people saw you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you be my savior? Thank you. And if you prayed that, would you just raise your hand? Because we just want to pray for you. Awesome. Keep raising them. Cool. Let me continue to finish in prayer. So Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can trust what you've gone to great lengths to give to us, the things that you've done in history. And so we thank you for that. May we go out and be witnesses for you. May we continue to help people search the scriptures. And if we're questioning those things and we're not there yet, God, thank you for continuing to draw us near. Thank you for pursuing us. I pray that you will give the answers that some people need to hear and that our faith rests in you, Jesus. It's not blind. It rests in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday.